Hello everybody and welcome back to the Monsters Behind the Masks, a Carnevale miniature game podcast and I am your host, my name is Dario and uh, with this episode I'm trying to complete uh, the basic rule overview for Carnevale the miniature game. In episode 3 we took a look at the basic rules section of the rulebook, today we are talking about the actions. Actions are the way in which the game represents and gives you the possibility to enact your strategy and uh, transform your imagination into something tangible, something real on the board. Of course, the episode will cover uh, news, as usual, some hobby talking, and uh, we, uh, today we are talking about uh, some background as well, because of the release of a character that is quite pivotal uh, in the story of uh, this game, in the lore of the game. So guys, let's start with getting your degree at the Academia. Welcome, cari signori, welcome to the city of the unending Carnevale. Welcome to Venezia. But be aware, there are monsters behind the masks. <laughs> In April 1793, a mysterious visitor presented himself to the main religious leaders of the world. He claimed that a great cataclysm was about to hit mankind, that powers beyond reality were eager to feast upon our world. Nonetheless, there was still hope. The being, later known as the Harbinger, or Herald, or Prophet, offered himself to teach humankind the ways of magic, how to tap into eldritch powers to stand the wave of destruction that was about to flood the world. But he was dismissed. Reputed to be a fool like many others before, every single religious leader refused his words. Everyone except one. The Pope of the Holy Catholic Church, Pius VI, accepted the message brought by the Harbinger, maybe in fear or maybe seeing it as a sign of God and detained him. Deep in the dungeons beneath the Vatican in Rome, the Harbinger was forced to teach magic to priests, eager to learn. Clearly, many things were simply out of reach to minds grown within the strict boundaries of blind belief. Nonetheless, the lessons of the Harbinger were received as confirmation of the power of God and that God himself was giving a fraction of his power to his true servants. Many, many notes were taken of the Harbinger's lessons and a book was written. However, dissent started to rise among the clergy. Some cardinals, led by Cardinal Antonelli, started to believe that the power of God was to be shared with the rest of the world to prepare humanity to face the disaster prophesied by the Harbinger. They were outnumbered by the rest of the clergy 
who firmly believed that all of the power was given to them to show the might of God to the whole world and turn the church into an irresistible force. Antonelli made a transcription of the book and fled Rome. He barely escaped what happened after. We cannot say the reasons or why it was done, but on the 3rd of July, 1793, the harbinger was murdered by the order of Cardinal Gerdil, Prefect of the Holy Office. As the last breath left the harbinger's body, the cataclysmic event later known as the opening of the rent in the sky took place. We sadly know very well what that led to. Nowadays, reports of a strange figure wandering through the streets of Venice are made. Witnesses talk about a being that seems to be made of shattered glass, apparently shifting to and from our dimension. Those who dare to approach it feel a unique sensation of connection and understanding. Just before it shatters into a thousand pieces of glass right in front of their eyes. Let's start talking about the news. First of all, the Harbinger Reflection. This is a gifted hero, so any gang can hire him, otherwise he can be used in a gifted gang. This guy comes with two action points, 10 life points and 4 wall points. Taking a look at the stats, move forward x33 to attack, protection 5 and mine 10 are not impressive but mine and protection aren't them, but don't worry, this little bugger is becoming very interesting and very soon. His ethereal with universal shielding 5. Ethereal is a great ability to have because the character may ignore all terrain while moving but must end its movement on solid ground, so be careful, you cannot end your movement for example in water since it's not solid ground. And Universal Shielding Fight, it, it means that you are always throwing 5 protection dice, that's great. At least you are guaranteed, uh, if dice are average, that you're going to ignore 2 damages for every attack incoming. But the best part are the unique ability of the Harbinger Reflection. A light in the dark and reflected reality. The first allows uh, the character to boost his rolls using more than two will points and replenish two will points anytime anybody uses two will points to boost an action. The latter gives you the possibility to discard one non-achieved agenda card, draw two new agenda cards and choose one to keep. Rules as written the Harbinger can boost using two dice basically for free because he is going to replenish those two will points thanks to the light in the dark ability, making this guy, this guy quite skilly since his attack have a massive minus six of penetration. To be noted that he won't replenish will points 
if he boosts his protection? Because replenishment ability triggers only when will points are spent on action. And remember that you are going to replenish two will points if two will points are spent. You can boost further than two will points with a Hobbinger. If you spend four will points to boost, you are going to replenish nothing. Hobbinger, I think that was a long-awaited character. Firstly, showed up when, um, when during the Kickstarter, and it was not available since then. Check carnevalegame.com slash resources for a special scenario in which the Hobbinger is pivotal outside time and space. When different factions try to track down the physical form of the Hobbinger, and this character is going straight into my collection, it is too peculiar to pass. It's really interesting, even if because it comes with his own custom special scenario. So outside the regular uh, game with, with, with gangs who fight each other. This is very interesting. But now, let's, not, let's move on to the next new box released. That is Pulcinella Pub Crawl. Funny enough, I wrote a post on the Carnevale fan page uh, on Facebook about Pulcinella King. And just about a couple of weeks before his release, asking for guidance about this guy. He has only two action points, only two command points. I felt him quite underwhelming for 18th ducats. His weapons are nothing special, his ability okay, they are okay if you play a, a pure Pulcinella subfaction, but nothing more. And then, bam, new Pulcinella box and a complete subfaction rebalance, give a new shine for our beloved now King for one day. This box is composed of five characters in which three are brand new. We got two heroes, the Brewer and the Brute, and three henchmen, two regular Pulcinellas and a Five Breather. This, mm, by standalone, is not a legal box since it's lacking a leader, but it's a great addiction to an already existing Pulcinella force, or any guild force actually. But I think that works better if you play pure or almost pure Pulcinella gangs. I have to check, actually, because I bought this uh, box and the regular Pulcinella box, but I'm waiting for them to arrive, so I haven't the chance yet to play yet. Let's uh, talk about, okay, the, there are new two new Pulcinella uh, scalps. One, I, I am really in love with one. She is a, is a girl that strongly reminds uh, Alex from uh, Clockwork uh, Orange. I love her. Is beautiful. Another another sculpt is uh, a Pulcinella that was released only during the Kickstarter. He's armed with an axe and is drinking beer, I think. Funny enough, I already have the sculpt. I bought it a uh, second edit, but I think that I'll uh, convert my my second, we can say, uh, exclusive Pulcinella into a new Fire Breather. Let's talk about the, this girl. Uh, the Fire Breather is a new character, henchman character for Pulcinella, that comes with four will points. That is good. Mm, is quite better than a regular Pulcinella for just one point, one ducat more. Stat-wise, she's uh, like anybody else, 
but her weapon is way different because she has a fire breath that has a black power black powder template two-handed weapon with a massive minus four penetration so it's a template with a minus four penetration damages are flowing here even if we have only a three attack character remember that she has got four wall points so she can boost up to five attack and like any other pulcinella she has got the mob rule so will she will automatically gain plus one attack for every other friendly character with mob rule who's basic who is in base contact with the enemy be careful because you are probably going to roast some of your guys too but hey guys life is cheap in venezia during night then this girl comes with a little downside because every time she uses the fire breath she's going to lose one life point she's basically drunk and is she is playing with fire it's not the best thing you can do while you are drunk fire breather is very useful when played with the brewer one of the two new heroes for the pulcinella faction the brewer comes first of all with a 40 millimeters base so we got some advantages if you are trying to grapple or somebody is trying to drown you it's good the brewer comes with two command points that are invaluable in this game because the pulcinella king or king for one day as just one uh, sorry as just two command points so we are you're going to struggle in the command points race two new command points here are pure gold the brewer comes with 13 life points so she is quite mm, resilient her stats are actually a little bit subpar respect of, in respect of other pulcinella uh, because she has only dexterity 3 to attack but protection 3 slightly better but nothing to write home about she has got two ways to attack her regular bottles she throw bottles at four inches of uh, with four inches of range and they are frankly terrible with two attack dice but the best part are the flaming bottles still four inches of uh, range but with a minus five of penetration the uh, this character can use the flaming bottles only when there is a, a pulcinella fire breather within three inches of this character so probably you want your brewer to follow or to stay to stick together with a fire breather because in this way you can you can use this powerful attack with minus five penetration and like every other Pulcinella, the Brewer has got the mob rule. So attack uh, a character that is surrounded by other Pulcinellas to gain a massive bonus to your attack. Then this guy, this girl, sorry, comes with uh, some other special ability, li like a command ability that's quite useful. For one command point, she can give to other characters within three inches a brave and first strike one. That's good. Uh, keep flowing. <laughs> this is quite funny actually, because any character that is in base contact with a brewer can be targeted by a drown action, even if it's not in water. So basically, basically the enemy is forced to drink to death. Wow, that's very very funny. Last new character for our 
Gorgeous Pulcinella is the brute. The brute, the name speaks uh, for himself. He's a massive guy on a 40 millimeters base with 14 life points and a lot of force in uh, his profile. Move 4, dexterity 4 for attack, 4 protection, mind 2, he's drunk like anybody else. But this guy is wielding a big club. 2 inches of range, a plus 1 damage and a stun weapon. Yes, I like him. I like him because uh, he's a, this guy is a blunt, blunt weapon. Point in the direction you want to stun somebody to death and go. Have fun. Uh, the only really uh, the only thing that really shines in this guy actually uh, other than having a good profile compared to the other pulcinella is he cannot be stunned so it's quite handy as I said pulcinella gain an uh, interesting rebalance uh, in their forces because uh, king uh, king for the day for one day the new name of pulcinella king uh, so a uh, little boost uh, in uh, his weapon that now gains a minus three penetration. His uh, rules rule do as I say, not as I do. Allows now to all Pulcinella characters except for the king to lose mindless for the game. So it's uh, it's very nice. And then the other the other good change that the Pulcinella saw is on the Ostrich Rider. Ostrich Rider now gain one damage, one additional damage uh, on their attack because uh, the, the Ostrich learned how to use his beak to pierce the enemy and the Ostrich Rider is no longer a hero. Now he's moved to Henchman and it's good. Because I want, I want to paint and and play them so much. They are so cheerful. I love them. I think that it's all about uh, the Pulcinella. Next, uh, let's uh, take a look at the new Strigoi. My dear Strigoi players, I want to tell you that I am so sorry because your faction went to a great rebalance work and they were quite hit by the acts of rebalancing i am sorry guys but uh, the, uh probably the game designer thought that uh, your faction was a little bit stronger than the other one but you can cope with that they are still interesting and full of options Go to the Carnevale Builder because probably you will find that many, many of your characters are, have got uh, a massive update and probably many of them lost some points, uh, some life points uh, and some abilities. But now let's focus on uh, the new box for the Strigoi. Vampiric Aristocracy. This box comes with two heroes and three henchmen. In which actually three characters are brand new, and uh, the one that we already saw, the Nosferatu, are quite rewarded, rebalanced, and in my opinion, they gain something in this process. Let's take a look first uh, to the heroes, uh, the Hulking Boroi. This is a huge, huge vampire. Uh, his fluff is quite interesting. Basically, he is a vampire who drank two 
much magical blood. Uh, usually vampires don't drink uh, magical blood because it's poisonous for them, but sometimes is actually in overdose. Uh, it's bad to say, and uh, the result is even worse if you take a look at the Hulk in Moroi. Is uh, a dead vampire walking uh, because he's going to die very, very soon. He has a very solid profile. He's quite pricey with 18 ducats, but he's very powerful because uh, he has got a cold hands with a plus one damage and minus two penetration. Move for dexterity for four attack, four protection, and 15 life points. He's crazed. Like the newborn Strigoi, so he is forced to use at least one will point. One will point that will be one life point because he's frenzied to boost the attack roll. Uh, speaking of his uh, character abilities, he's got uh, first strike two, frenzied, as I said, mindless. I think that this guy is not interested in taking objectives. And vampiric attack, vampiric attack one. So he's going to replenish life points when he attacks. He's uh, solid. Is uh, really a bit stick. You want him to go in the thick of the fight and start tearing upon the ranks of your enemies. Then the other hero is the Highborn Servant. I like this character. This is uh, basically basically a, a rich girl who wants to become a vampire. She wants it so strongly that she puts her wealth in the hands of the of the Strigoi vampires with a promise that she will be turned into a vampire eventually. 12 life points and uh, 2 will points is good because she is alive basically so she has got a will. Uh, move forward, dexterity 4, attack 4 and protection 4. She is a, a very solid hero uh, stat-wise. She's armed with a, a sword with an additional damage and a pistol. Quite basic but always useful. Since usually uh, the Strigoi lack uh, uh, some ranged support, she's companion vampire with parry 2. She reminds me of Barnabotti, but uh, on steroids actually. Then, a nice special ability is Bankroll. Every time a character with this ability is in your gang, so just one is, is uh, enough. At the start of the round, you can select a piece of equipment already used, and uh, you can use that equipment once more this round. So actually, basically, at uh, the start of any round, if you have spent your, uh, your consumable equipment, you can now use it again, as long as the highball servant is, uh, is in play. I think that I would abuse her ability maybe on a leather undershirt. Think about uh, ignoring uh, a d10 of damage upon a character in any turn. Its cost of 10 ducats it's, uh, it's quite expensive, but why not? Or even a humble climbing tools can be useful or uh, a bottle courage to, to reroll one die. Why not? She, she is good uh, for, for what her brings to the table in my opinion. Then the other two, the other characters are now the henchmen. Nosferatu. Nosferatu, as I said, uh, uh, saw a, a quite good change in his profile, in his stat card, because he is now a two common points uh, character, henchman character. It's uh, quite unique, I think. With quite low and bad stats. Uh, five dexterity is good, but two attack and two protection are quite bad. 
Fragile Fangs means that uh, uh, it gives one additional protection uh, dice uh, to his enemy. He's uh, a support character, basically, because his command ability, Shadow Walker, uh, basically, you pick one friendly character within one of these uh, of the, the character that uses the uh, command ability, so the Nosferatu, and remove the character from play and place the target character out of base contact, but within 8 inches of the Nosferatu. You cannot uh, cause attack of opportunity, but it's basically uh, a gateway without uh, uh, casting a spell. It's very good. I think that uh, the difference between this ability and gateway is that with gateway you have to finish your, your finish your placement on a solid ground. In this ability, this is not stated, so you can potentially uh, teleport the friendly vampire character in water if needed. It's quite good, I think. And uh, Nosferatu is not forced to use the, co the his common points on his own ability. It's great. He can throw common points to use additional actions, uh, to interrupt. It's very good for just 13, 13 ducats. Very good. Last henchman is a brand new one. She is the starved vampire. Mm, when you're a vampire and you transgress the vampire rules, they put you in a coffin and they starve you to craziness because you're already dead, so you cannot start be starved to death. So this starved vampire is uh, basically a vampire who has been driven crazy but uh, by the lack of blood of uh, of sustainment her basic profile is bad <laughs> only seven life points for nine ducats actually seven life points with a move four okay dexterity three three attack and two protection she's fragile and she is isn't going to dish out many damages uh, she she's armed with the regular fangs friends it and Vampiric Attack 1, but what's the point with this girl? Rejuvenated is her special ability, and whenever the, this character replenishes life points uh, with a Vampiric Attack, you gain plus 1 to either movement, dexterity, attack or mind for the rest of the game. You cannot go above 6, but plus 1 on uh, on a, on a stat. Apparently, she can be quite versatile if she can manage to stay alive for long enough. You can pump your dexterity or attack or movement. Um, that are uh, the main things I, that I'll uh, that I'll put my my pluses on. Mind usually is not so important unless you are going to face a fearsome opponents, but. Uh, for just nine ducats, she is not mindless too. I think that she's good for for a point, and can be quite interesting if you manage to keep her alive. It's an interesting character, actually. So, my dear Strigoi players, take a look at uh, the changes that your faction uh, had. I suggest, I strongly suggest you to print all uh, the character cards for your faction and throw away the older ones, I am so sorry, but it was an accessory probably. 
in the eyes of the game of the game designing team. But uh, cheer up, you have now a very very strong box with a, a strong uh, with strong options and uh, many ways to differentiate your your gangs. Nosferatu is a great support character. Starter Dampier for nine 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 ducats is frankly good, and I I'm in love with the Hybor servant. Hawking Moroi is a brute, okay, but many characters can dish out damages. Hybor servant, in my opinion, is great. A couple of days ago, uh, at the time of uh, this recording, the rebalancing. Uh, have happened for the Commedia dell'arte as well. So we're talking about uh, gifted. Il Capitano and uh, his merry merry gang uh, uh, saw a great reduction in points, but they really lost something because, for example, the Capitano is no longer brave. Uh, his, uh, the general protection of the fa- of the sub faction has been lowered to just to three. They were they're wearing costumes, so it's good. Generally speaking, these characters were uh, rebalanced, uh, taking in much more into account the, the folklore that is behind them. So, for example, Il Capitano re- uh, represented a bombastic soldier who spends his time talking about his deeds, but he actually had never uh, unlashed his horde. And uh, is feared from getting into the fight. So the Capitano lost uh, his uh, brave ability. And then, since he's not uh, a good leader, his mind is just two, and all friendly Commedia dell'arte characters are forced to use his mind too because they gain companion if they are in line of sight. Uh, I see that is a great downside for the Dottore, of course, because he's a mage. And a mage with mine too is a bad mage, but hey, it's charitable, and uh, this is uh, Lordwise right, and uh, it's a nice change, it's a challenge. But the, the, the good thing about it is that now El Capitano costs only 20 ducats instead of 25, it's a massive point reduction. The whole Commedia dell'arte uh, box now costs only 90 ducats instead of the 100 that uh, was before. I suggest you to to check for the Carnevale Gang Builder uh, on uh, on the internet because um, there are many changes to the Commedia dell'arte. And speaking about gifted, there is a, a new gifted in town, the Escaped Madman. This guy as uh, a Harbinger came uh, during the initial Kickstarter of the game and he has got a unique scenario that you can download uh, from the Carnevale website. The Skid Madman is uh, an henchman on a 40mm ba- base with a price tag of 19 ducats, so it's quite steep, mm, for an henchman with 15 life points and 3 will points. Dexterity move attack are 4, with protection is 2, is uh, is wearing uh, rags. Mm, that good thing about this guy is uh, he's got fear. Fear. Perry three. Perry three is great, and uh, he's armed with a tentacle rabar with a one-inch range plus one evasion to the target, a plus two damage stun weapon is not bad. But the shatter nexus is uh, the nice ability about uh, the skate madman. Is a madman who managed, we don't know how, 
to escape from uh, the doctors of the ospedale. And when he is reduced to zero will points, uh, the, the, the nexus glows will explode. So you put a blast marker over the, the escape madman, and every character under the marker, including the madman itself, takes three dam take three damage. Of course, you can roll uh, your protection roll because you are taking damages, you're not losing life points, but if the escape madman survives, uh, you are going to replenish three will points. It's nice. It's a cool mechanic and uh, I, I quite like it. Uh, I will probably buy this character too. I love Gifted, they are very characterful and uh, they're all, all of them are interesting since they are unique. Let's talk about the last release of this, uh, of this batch in the form of the Vatican. The Vatican has got a brand new box with some brand new characters and the release of some characters that were previously available only during the Kickstarter campaign, for example the Prelate of Flaming Sword. This new box for the Vatican is called Holy Crusaders. We are going to find here two prelates of the Fleming Sword, a Crucifier, that is a brand new character, the Stigmatist, a brand new one as well, and a, a new cult for the Crossbearing Deacon. We got a plenty of heroes here. It's, four hero, it's a four heroes box and just one henchman box. These are not... Uh, a legal gang of course because you have two main heroes and no leader but let's take a look at them stigmatist he is basically a crazy mage because he's got 12 life points one will point a mage with just one will point uh, a bad stat line dexterity for two attack and two protection is fragile and is not punchy at all with the hands of god like the like the inquisitor but how is this guy, this, this guy is going to cast spells? He's frenzied. He can tap on his own life points to cast his spells. And he's got blood rights. And is uh, only uh, magical discipline available. He's a very aggressive mage. Blood rights is a discipline that is full of uh, offensive spells. And ways to damage, to hamper your opponents. But with just 12 life points and frenzied, you are going to run out of life points, I think, quite, uh, quite fast. So you have to carefully choose when and where use uh, your mage abilities. Then, Crossbearing Deacon is a character that we already, that we already know. Relate of the Flaming Sword. I am in love with this guy. Uh, and this, in, in this box, you are actually going to have two miniatures of uh, this hero. 16 ducats. It's uh, expensive, but not so much, in my opinion, for what this guy brings to, the, to a Vatican gang. Thir 13 life points with one will point. Move forward, dexterity for 4 attack, but 5 protection is clad in a heavy armor, and uh, he is going to make a good use of it. The Burning Greatsword is uh, his signature weapon. Uh, plus one damage, but with minus five penetration and two-handed. is going to burn through your armor. 
and this guy knows how to, to use it because he's brave with expert offense 2 concealment minus 1 you're going to shoot this guy quite well <laughs> because wielding a flaming sword during uh, engagement in night is putting on yourself a big big target the other thing that, I don't, that uh, is a downside for the prelate of the flaming sword is a, a, a brave guy but he's uh, quite crazy so he's mindless you're not going to take objectives with him the uh, unique ability of the prelate is the burning aura any friendly check within three inches gain minus two penetration on their weapons i consider him quite a fire and forget weapon put him against the biggest deadliest foe that you can manage to reach i am not sure about this but i think that if you are going to use two prelates and keeping them within three inches from each other you're going to benefit from the other prelate boring aura and this will be great because you are going to have a minus 7 penetration on your flaming sword. It will be great since you are expert offense 2 and you are going to roll up to 2 dice for every attack that you are going, uh, going to make. I don't know actually if this is going to, to work in this way, but if it would, that would be great of course. Last character that uh, we are going to um, to see here is the henchman guy of this uh, of this little box, the crucifier. He was already spoiled a couple of months ago, but um, now he has changed a little bit. Uh, let's let's see how. He's uh, an henchman with eleven ducats uh, price tag. 11 life points, 2 will points, dexterity 4, attack 3, and protection 3, so it's basically a human with nothing, uh, nothing particular in it. He is armed with a hammer and nails. He wants to stab it with his hammer and nails. A minus 2 penetration, 2 handed weapon. That's not bad, even if only with 3 attack, but the special rule that comes with this guy is the crucifixion. When hammer and nails causes at least three damage, changes his penetration to minus seven. Wow! If you manage to land all of your attacks, minus seven of penetration is bad for your for your opponent. As uh, the simplest way that you are going to achieve this is uh, using your will points, of course, because uh, with a five attack roll, it's quite likely to eat at least. Three times you have to cause three damages, not to make your opponent to lose three life points. So this is before protection rolls. Otherwise, this ability won't have any sense. But for the eleven ducats, it's a non-mindless uh, henchman, so it's good, and he has the capability to do some damage. Be careful because the armor nails are two-handed. So you are giving plus one evasion to your uh, to your foe when making attacks of opportunity. Don't forget it. And I think that with, with this we are covered all the news in the last one and a half months. 
let's now chat about the hobby. Unfortunately, during the last uh, two months, I had no occasion to play any game. My group in Venice uh, is uh, quite busy, personal lives are taking on us, and uh, for me too it's the same. There's not much time left uh, to, to play a game. And the situation, of course I'm referring to the, the Covid emergency, uh, does not uh, suggest to see many other people outside what is an accessory. So I focus myself on painting and building some scenery. I love cardboard scenery, uh, there is no mystery about it. And um, I am lucky enough because uh, uh, in the last, uh, in the last uh, weeks some mm, nice Venice fitting cardboard building, cardboard building have been released by various producers. I will uh, focus uh, this topic uh, maybe on a special episode uh, uh, in the future. I don't know at the moment, but the, uh, just to say that I love cardboard scenery and I built some nice interesting buildings for my cardboard Venice. Then, speaking about miniatures, uh, I had some leftovers from various gangs that I decided to to finish because I, I wanted to complete, for example, my doctors. I bought the single miniatures for Doctor of the Arsenale and two single miniatures of Madman. I think that Madman are really gorgeous. I have uh, never had the opportunity to pick up a Madman and watch the details and they are lovely. Uh, their expressions are so crazy and frustrated and solenetics. They, they were very fun to paint too and I experimented a little bit here because I tried to give them a strong uh, zenithal highlight with a more or less half of their body in uh, full light while the other half in full, in full uh, shadows. Uh, I tried to achieve an effect like uh, someone who is illuminated by a, a strong source of light while in uh, during night. I don't know actually if I accomplished the, the goal, but I'm quite satisfied by the overall result. Then uh, my guild was uh, finally completed for the time being actually by uh, Pulcinella, me the first one of many more to come I hope, and I bought a couple of spare miniatures from the Strigoi uh, range, a couple of trolls, one will be a recruiter, since he has a nice, uh, nice crossbow, and the other one, uh, who's a gorgeous lady, will be probably a harlot, the most expensive one in Venice, I think. Lastly, my gifted forces were were bolstered by Zovenavela, the exclusive uh, 2021 miniature that I received one month ago, and I love. That sculpt. She's tinier than um, many other miniatures, but she's a girl actually, so and she's young, so I expect her to be uh, as a little bit shorter than uh, full-grown adults. Uh, but uh, her expression, uh, her 
the, the way she is sculpted, she instilled fear when I saw her with her flaming hands. And here I try to represent her like the light uh, was coming from the fire that burns uh, her hands. And so I try to make strong shadows and strong contrast. I really don't know if the overall painting resembles uh, the idea that I had, but I think that at the moment I couldn't do anything better. I'm just trying to push myself out of my comfort zone. The last miniature that I play, uh, that I paint in uh, these during these uh, these weeks is uh, the Miniature War Games magazine exclusive female Barnabotti. And about this miniature, I decided to to make her a gift for my wife because I think that this miniature is lovely and she's so rich, her costume is so pompous so and uh, she resembles to the, the mask that you can uh, see on the front of the uh, rule book. I love that miniature. And I asked to my wife to choose on the magazine one of the color schemes that were suggested to paint her. And she uh, asked me to paint her in uh, red and magenta, I can say. I am very proud of uh, the overall uh, the overall paint job, paint job that I gave to these uh, Barnabotti, and I think I'll put the the miniature on Instagram. I would like to know what you think. But she was very fun to paint because uh, even with uh, this character, I tried to give her a, a strong source of light, hitting them from the front of the miniatures. Of the miniatures, so the back will be. Uh, more shadowed and the the front of the miniature will be in full light so with uh, the brightest color possible i don't know if uh, these miniature will be used as a regular barabotti or maybe like a noble woman uh, she has a pistol so why not but uh, i think i hope to use this miniature as a trojan horse to try to teach my wife how to play carnevale she will never fall in the trap, but the try is worth. This is what I had to say about the hobby this, uh, during this period. I, I regret that I hadn't any occasion to play, but probably I have to give a try to the awesome uh, tabletop simulator Carnevale mod. If you're interested in it, go to Venice by Red Light, because the owner of the website made a great work in developing this uh, mod for uh, the beautiful tabletop simulator uh, uh, program. I actually tried to download and uh, see how the, the tabletop simulator handles Carnevale and it does it surprisingly well. Donald, the, the guy who made uh, the mod, made a great job actually. And uh, I am willing to try to play a game of Carnevale via remote. Here we are with uh, the main topic of this episode, actions. At page 159 we can take a look at what our characters can do in the game. 
first action, one of the most, I think the most important one is move. For just one action point, this action uh, allows your character to wander around, to travel through the board, since he uh, moves on solid ground. Solid ground uh, is actually everything except water, except vertical movement, uh, except the uh, uh, breeze or anything that can hamper your move. If you want to perform a move action, you have just to spend one action point and move up to your movement statistic in inches. Any terrain that is lower than one inch is considered to be solid ground, so will not slow down you. And if you touch any difficult ground or any vertical surface, you can make a dexterity check to try to climb or to move through the difficult terrain for the remaining inches that you've got. Always remember that during the normal movement, you cannot uh, pass through any other miniature, friendly or foe, during a vertical movement, so when you climb up or down a wall, you will ignore any other miniature uh, that is along your path. Remember that if you end your activation and you are not on solid ground, probably you will fall from the position that you are standing over. So if you are climbing a wall and at the end of your activation, not your action, this is very important, if uh, at, the, at the end of your activation you are not on solid ground, your character will fall from that current position. Move action also um, covers swimming. Swimming is very, very easy. It just move with a penalty of 2 inches uh, from your movement statistic, unless you are a water creature. Let's number one, jump. Jump is another key action that you can take in Carnevale. I usually think that with move and jump, you can uh, win a game only using just these two actions, because uh, you can gra go grab objectives, you can run away, you can even attack it, because if you uh, end a move action in contact with another character, you can do an attack of opportunity. So only with moving and jumping around, you can play a whole game without use any other actions. Anyway, let's go back to jump. Jump is a one action point action, and uh, you make a basic dexterity roll. You basically decide where you want to jump. Your aim point that is uh, in the line of sight of a character as your mm, to jump point. Okay. You make a basic dexterity roll, you take a look at the chart, and uh, if successful or even failed, you move your character according to the distance that you rolled. Remember that you cannot jump a point that is three or more inches higher than your current position. Gravity at the moment will go against you, of course. It's important to note that if your jump brings you on a, sp on a, on a space that is... Uh, uh, shorter than your base, you are allowed to you are allowed to move up to one inch to be put on solid, completely on solid ground. And if you roll higher than the distance that you nominated, you are allowed to to use the remaining mm, inches of your jump action to move further away. The problem here is when you roll shorter 
than the distance that you want to travel. You measure the, the distance that you are traveling with your jump action and then you're starting to fall. Fall damage is very important because you're falling from the height of the character at the start of the action rather than the start of the fall. So if you are jumping down, for example, a gap that is uh, 8 inches and you jump only 6 inches downwards, you are not taking 2 inches of fall. You are taking the 8 full inches of fall. Be aware of this. You can minimize the damages if you jump declaring a controlled landing. It's quite an underused action actually because it costs you an additional action point. So for two action points you are trying to reduce your falling damages. Another thing that is extremely important about jumping is chain jumps. Chain jumps is a special thing that you can do if you jump onto an obstacle or a debris uh, you can immediately make an additional jump action for zero action points. So you will, so you are going to actually do two jump actions at the cost of one. Remember that you can do chain jumps only once per jump action. So you are not going Super Mario round. Just one chain jump. Then let's take a look to dive action. Dive action costs you two action points. And requires your character to start the action in water, of course. You aren't going to dive in stone, I think. Make a basic dexterity roll. Taking a look at how many success, uh, if you success your roll, or if you make a critical roll, if you fumble, you are going to take underwater counters. Underwater counters are very good to have, because each underwater counter gives you plus two protection. It's very, very difficult to hurt somebody who is uh, diving deep. Remember the scene at Ohama Beach uh, in the movie uh, Save Private Ryan, when uh, the bullets were hitting people that were underwater? That is false. A bullet that is, is hitting the water will go straight and probably won't hurt you at all. Anyway, for each underwater counter, you gain plus two protection. And then, at the start of uh, an activation in which you have underwater counters, you may remove all the counters and immediately move the character up to four inches for each underwater counter, as long as you stay in water. If you think about it, you can start your activation moving for Eight, it depends uh, if you are a water creature, because water creatures will benefit from this. Uh, for each underwater counter, they are moving eight inches. You are basically doing a free movement inside of water. And then you can take your regular activation. So dive can be very, very powerful for Rashar, for example, who don't like to go uh, on ground, but they are very comfortable in water fighting. Okay, we took a look on how to navigate through our board, but now stop making tourists in Venice and let's make something more offensive. We are playing a skirmish game, not a tourist game or a photographic hunting, aren't we? Okay, let's take a look at attacking. 
Before diving into the actions related to the attacking section, let's make clear of a couple of concepts here. First of all, attacks of opportunity. An attack of opportunity is a zero action point action. You cannot choose to make an attack of opportunity, but there are instances when an attack of opportunity is granted for, for your character. You can make a, a combat action, you can make a grapple, you can make a drown. Is just an attack, but it's free, basically. Then base contact. Base contact can be key for some abilities or some skills. Uh, for example, first strike, when you are charging into combat, if you go in base contact, you can have additional attack dice. Uh, remember that sometimes you can be considering base contact if, even if you are not physically touching your opponent. For example, you are fighting through a wall. In that case, you are still in base contact even if there is a wall between uh, the two fighters. It's just an assumption, of course, but uh, hey, we are playing a game. It's not a simulation. We have to point out that if you are fighting, for example, touching the same wall, so the wall is between you and uh, the target character, the target character will benefit from cover. Otherwise, if you are both in cover, for, for example, touching a wall, but that wall is, for example, on your sides, and you are touching physically the miniature that is your target, the target won't benefit from cover. Another thing to point out is that uh, if the target character has uh, three or more enemy characters in contact, the target character will uh, have a minus one of to his dexterity. Basically, they are trying to tie, uh, tie down so it's easier to hit. It can possibly be even the same enemy that you are disengaging from. Anyway, charging and disengaging is uh, another massive part of uh, the attacking process. Remember that if you move in base contact with another character, you can take an attack of opportunity against that character. Remember that these triggers only if you go in base contact. And also remember that if you do this, you are going to lose the remaining movement that your character have for that action. Another big, big thing about attacking is that if you start your move action three inches or more higher than that enemy and you move in base contact with that enemy you count as charging from above so you gain a, a massive minus five of penetration for your weapon for that attack of opportunity even if you fall on uh, that on that uh, enemy character it's massive and it's quite thematic too you're pushing with all your weight against your enemy. But what if, if you want to go away from a, a, a vicious fighter, you can disengage. Disengaging is just a move or a jump action, so you have to roll a dexterity that will be an opposed dexterity roll. Now, if you use the basic rules as written, you're going to... Uh, you and your opponent are going to both roll your dexterity values and uh, then who wins the roll, who has most successes, uh, wins, wins the roll and effects apply. If you use the experimental rules, as I suggest, strongly suggest you to do, 
because it's more thematic and uh, the faction who is um, taking initiative also is favored. Your target makes uh, his dexterity roll first and you subtract from your dexterity value the opponent's successes. Disengaging means that you can move away from uh, the enemy character. Remember that in this game uh, there is no mm, concept like uh, locked in combat. You are always free to move. You can even move around the enemy without losing uh, base contact, for example, and even go to into base contact with another enemy if you can maintain the base contact with your original target. Of course, you have to have room to place your character and you have to have room to make your base move away freely from the other characters. This is important because if you are trapped between three other characters, you physically cannot move past them. So that is, uh, I think, the only situation in which you are truly locked, you are trapped. About disengaging, nothing says that you cannot disengage and then engage again an enemy. This usually is discouraged, because the spirit of disengaging is not just stepping back, turn around you and then stab you again. Disengaging is something like, I want to flee from you. So, I don't discourage you to do so. If you want to fight, just take an attack action. If you want to run away, just disengage. It's not bad, in my opinion, to disengage from uh, an enemy and go engage another one, taking a, an attack of opportunity against the new target as well. I think that uh, it's quite possible, and even thematic, issue, if you think uh, of on uh, the kind of assassins that roams in uh, this game uh, that you can find in Venice. But hey, mm, the, the only thing that I can say you about this is uh, agree with your opponent what uh, is considered to be sportsmanship and what is not. It's the best way to, to, to play in my, in, my, in my opinion. Okay, the first uh, attacking action that we are covering here is uh, guard. Guard is a, a powerful way to answer the questions that your opponent are going to, to give you. Because guards, guard with just one action point required moves, completes a move action or a jump action. And when completed that action is within line of sight, put your character into the end of its activation. So use guard only. I, I strongly suggest you to use guard as your last action per round. If an enemy, and you can take an, an attack of opportunity. Remember that you can take an, an attack of opportunity against anybody. So you're not forced to take your the character that completed the, the move action or the jump action. No, no, no. You can even attack somebody who is in base contact, for example, or within the reach of your weapon, if you've got a ranged weapon or maybe a Corsac that has got two inches of reach, it's quite a flexible way to interrupt the actions, attack of opportunity against of enemy characters. Remember that you cannot guard while into water. You are, I think you are too busy swimming or try to not be drowned by monsters. Why not? Uh, also remember that 
if you use your guard action to make your attack of opportunity, you are going to lose your guard token. So only one guard attack of opportunity uh, is allowed by the guard action of your guarding character. You can remove the guard token that you are putting on your character when um, making uh, a guard action. Now let's take a look at uh, the most common attack action that you can find in Carnevale, that is combat action. Combat action is uh, just one action point action. You are going to roll an attack dice. You are going to make an attack roll using uh, the attack statistic of your character and the target of your roll is the target's the dexterity value. You roll as many, as many dice uh, as appropriate against your target's dexterity. For every success, you do one damage. Remember that damages are subject to protection rolls. So the target, the target character is not actually hurt until he fails, until he do his uh, protection rolls. When you do a combat action, you are going to use the weapons that you are carrying with you. Weapons have got uh, statistics that are mm, broadly uh, divided into range, evasion, damages, penetration, and abilities. Uh, when you take a look at your at your character stat card weapons, you have to check, for example, range. Uh, if you're not in base contact, you have to measure the distance between your base and the closest point of the target's base. Uh, when you make the attack roll, you have to check if uh, your weapon is accurate or not, because uh, this affects the dexterity value of your target. If you got pluses on, on evasion, pluses or no modifiers on evasion, sorry, if you got pluses or nothing but except of a number, you are uh, hitting your target uh, harder, harder than usual. Probably you got uh, a gun, for example, a pistol usually is not so a precise weapon but usually less precise weapons are going to do massive damages and the number that you see here usually is a plus gives you additional damage to your damage pool after your attack remember that this damage value is to be added to your damage pool. So if you do not land any hit, you don't do additional damages. Penetration means uh, the, pos the ability to your, of your weapon to pierce enemy armor. You are going to modify the number of dice rolled by the target by the number that is printed here. Some weapons are too blunt to to penetrate armor, so you are going to you are going to give bonuses to the target's penetration, while others are excellent at piercing uh, armor, so you are taking away dice 
from uh, the dice pool of your target. Lastly, abilities as some weapons uh, have abilities uh, uh, that are typical for them. For example, guns uh, usually have black powder, that means that uh, you cannot fire them while in water, or maybe some big weapons like swords uh, can have a two-handed. Two-handed means that uh, you are going to give plus one evasion to the target while making an attack, an attack of opportunity. They are too big to, to use them in a, in a precise way, usually. But remember that every, every character can do an unarmed attack. This comes in play very often when you fight in water, for example, because many, many characters have no aquatic weapons. If you have got a, a nice sword or a nice pistol, but you are fighting into water, you cannot use them. It's impractical. While if you are a Radru, for example, your weapon fists are perfectly suited for water combat. Another great way to attack your opponents is via a grapple action. A grapple action is a one action point action and it's an opposed attack roll that you can perform only when you are in base contact with your target. The score that you need is 7. If you succeed your attack, your grapple action, you can throw the target model away from you in a direction of your choice. Grapple is a great, great way to disrupt your opponent's plans because you are going to alter the position of his models and so you are going to force your opponent to alter his strategy. Grapple can be used in many, many creative ways. For example, you can grapple a model and throw him into water ready to be thrown, or you can grapple a model and throw him off a rooftop, so causing falling damages too. This is a great, great way to deal with many, many foes, different foes. Grapple in a game of positioning and movement like Carnevale can really be a great thing. It's one of my favorite tactics actually to grapple an incoming enemy that wants to kill my poor models, maybe spending a common points or maybe spending a guard token after uh, the, mo the enemy model completed its move or jump and is ready to perform its attack of opportunity, you can spend a common point, you can spend your guard token, anyway you can perform when you can perform an out of sequence uh, action like uh, an attack of opportunity, for example, you can try to grapple your opponent and throw him away. So he has to spend another action point, maybe to come in base contact with you again. Or maybe you can just throw him so far that he cannot reach you in this activation, at least. It's a great, great way to deal with your opponent and to mess up his plans. Couple of footnotes about uh, grapple actions. You can grapple a friendly character just making a, a basic attack roll. We assume that the, the, the friendly character is willing to be thrown away. And these can really be handy. I think about maybe throwing away someone who 
is carrying an objective that incidentally cannot perform any other actions rather than move. So throwing someone with an objective probably is a good strategy. And remember, also remember that if your base is bigger than your target, you gain one additional dice to roll in your attack pool. The last, the last form of uh, combat, of attack, that is available in Carnevale is the drone action. And this is massive. There are foes who are simply too well protected to be killed in the usual ways. If your foe is wearing a full plate armor and you're armed only with your fists, I think that you're going to break your bones way before doing anything to your enemy. So drone is the action that is good for you in this case. To perform a drone action, spend your usual action point, choose an enemy that is in water and is in base contact with the attacking character. It's noted that you as attacking character are not required to be in water as well. So if you're standing on a river and your enemy is in water just in front of you, you can push his head down using maybe your foot. Why not? Or a long stick. Then is a usual usually you take an opposed attack roll and if you win the char the enemy character is going to lose life points. So he's not taking damages. Protection rolls cannot be made against the drone action because you are forcing your foe to lose life points directly. A heavy armor won't protect you if you drink enough water. Also remember that a larger site base has got a plus one to the attack in this particular instance. Draw action, uh, as I say, can be massive when trying to take out foes who are so heavily protected. It's also to be noted that many abilities that work on combat actions won't be of any use during a drawn action. For example, Expert Offense, because Expert Offense works only in combat action. You cannot roll dice when uh, you're drowning somebody or you're trying to be drawn by somebody. Or maybe parry in this case, because when you're targeted by a combat action, parry makes the attacker to reroll an X number of dice. In this case, you are going to parry nothing, because it's not the situation in which parry will kick in. And finally, remember, remember that you cannot drown a water creature. You know, they breathe water, so no, you cannot drown that Radru. You have to try another way to beat him, and good luck. Let's now take a look at the magic. Magic can be a massive part of gameplay for some factions, for example, Rashar overall, and uh, Vatican too, uh, or uh, Strigoi if they feel the Brides of Dracula, other characters. Some factions don't use magic at all. I'm thinking on uh, the, the guild who has only one character that has access to to magic abilities, uh, that's Baba Yaga, or the patricians uh, who has got only the 
adventuring noble and uh, moon i think she's a magician anyway it's important to know how to cast a spell how to how to resist uh try to dispel as uh, a spell and uh, i'm here to explain you how to do so first of all a mage is a, is a character who has the mage ability listening it's uh, on a, on its character sheet uh, usually you will find uh, an, uh, a number after the ability mage this is the level the power of your mage a mage one or zero is more or less an apprentice so the number explains you the number of um, spells that that particular mage know a mage one knows only one spell mage two two spells three and so on a mage zero knows only the cantrip of the of the discipline that he has access to because mages can take their their, uh, their spell only from one discipline of the ones available for that particular character and the disciplines allowed to a specific mage are described and are stated in the character sheet remember that uh, if you find on the spell an, an uh, x on the effects capital or diminutive is, is the same that x refers to the the mage level of the character so for example if a spell says that you inflict x damages and you're casting it with a, a mage 2 character you are going to inflict two damages now it's important to note that if, unless stated otherwise you are going to choose your spells only from a single discipline and you always know the cantrip of that uh, discipline as an additional spell but how to use your incredible magic abilities the action that you need is cast spell cast spell is a one action point action you select the the spell that you wish to to try to cast and you make a magic roll i remind you that a magic roll is just a mind roll and the difficulty set is listed on the spell that you are trying to to cast easy spells can be difficult to three four five for example they are the easiest one while some truly complicated spells like for example madness have a difficult of eight so only the best mages can try to to cast that particular spell and every spell has a will point cost some has zero so they're basically free to 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 be tried some other spells requires require you to spend one or more will points it depends of the specific spell that you are trying to cast then you go with uh, your uh, magic roll and you see on the chart if you are if you succeeded in your action remember that if you fail to cast a spell just a simple fail you are not allowed to cast any spell with that particular character for the rest of its activation so see you next round if you are still alive and also remember that mages cannot cast spells while in water unless they are water creature and i'm looking at you Majirashar. you can stay in water and do your tricks no worries an important thing to remember too is that cast spell action gives to an enemy in base contact an attack of opportunity so be 
very careful with your mages. Unless you're really sure about the, your defenses, try to avoid to cast spells while uh, in base contact with an enemy because you are going to to take blows. And usually mages are not so well protected. But how to defend yourself from uh, these vicious magicians? If you have got a mage too, you can try to dispel the, the spell that is cast upon you. Here we got two ways to try to dispel. First one is uh, the one that is stated in the rule book, and we got the experimental rules one. As usual, I strongly suggest you to follow the experimental rules because they are more, more interesting usually, or they give you a better uh, experience during gameplay. There is no major difference actually between the basic rules and the experimental rules. Not at all. Anyway, let's start with the rulebook version of the spell try. When an enemy, when an enemy mage tries to cast a spell and it is within 6 inches from uh, your, your mage, or the target of the spell is within 6 inches from your mage, that mage can try to dispel the spell, paying the same amount of will points required to cast the spell, and then proceed to make an opposed mind roll. Remember that you can achieve a maximum amount of aces as is your mage value. So a mage 2, and then in this way you're trying to deny. Even if it scores, uh, for example, 4 successes, you're going to lose 2 of them because you are mage 2, so you're maximum, you're allowed maximum to score 2 aces. A character, cannot, a character cannot dispel while in water, and you, if you roll no aces in your opposed roll as a defender, you cannot try to dispel again in this round. The casting attempt from, uh, for your enemy. Experimental uh, dispel rules simply cancel the range restriction for the dispelling mage. So you can dispel even if you are uh, out of 6 inches from the casting mage or 6 inches uh, from the target of the spell. So it's, uh, it gives more freedom and more flexibility and more tries to dispel enemy magic. Magic is over now and uh, there is a little section at the end of the action section that's, that explains how to interact with different, different terrain. It's quite easy actually. I'll explain uh, in, uh, briefly because uh, it's easy and uh, it's worth the, the listening, I think. For example, solid ground. Solid ground is everything except water, vertical terrain, and any obstacle, any debris, any element on uh, the board that is one inch tall or less is solid ground is where your ch your character usually stay, w usually walk. Difficult ground is uh, a terrain that is uh, rubbled, for example, rocks uh, or frozen streets are treated as difficult ground. Remember, as I said in the move section, difficult ground requires you to make a dexterity check. If you fail it, probably you cannot move. There is a chart for that, but it's very easy. Vertical terrain Vertical terrain is everything, walls or building, that is more than one tall. Characters have to cannot move horizontally 
through this kind of terrain. Probably you have to jump over if they are 3 inches of tall or less, or to climb them. Impassable terrain now is a terrain simply where you cannot go. Mm, probably can be something, for example, in flames or solid objects. Uh, you cannot move horizontally or vertically through this kind of terrain. Water, water is, is everywhere in Venice, of course. We previously talked about how to handle water during combat. Remember that a character that is in water always counts as being in cover against uh, attacks coming from range and uh, from attacks that are made in base contact too. Canals, canals are simply uh, water streets, uh, waterways that uh, are at least four inches uh, wide. Uh, remember that moving in and into and out a canal requires you to spend one inch of uh, move without penalty or roll. Now, obstacle and debris. This is interesting because we got two kinds, two types of obstacles, small and large, and debris. Small obstacles are uh, anything on which you cannot be placed on, but can be climbed, like a barrel, like the gondola pole, or any, anyway, they, they are obstacles uh, on which you can move or jump onto, but you cannot end your activation on a gondola pole, for example. They are incredibly used anyway to make chain jumps, for example, you jump from a uh, a rooftop to a, a gondola pole to a barrel and chain jump to go further away. Large obstacles uh, are obstacles as big enough to uh, allow a character to be placed on. They can be solid ground or vertical terrain. Can be debris. You can uh, swim through debris, for example, that are in a canal, but remember that you cannot end your activation on debris. If you do so, you, uh, you have to move your character out of the debris using the shortest distance possible. A couple of words about about ruins. Basically, you should agree with your opponent what is considered a ruin and what is not. To climb without uh, making the rolls, making a dexterity roll, horizontal movement in ruin is uh, treated like solid ground. Maybe you can uh, treat it like uh, difficult ground as you prefer it's quite the, the rulebook here gives a great freedom to the players just uh, agree with your with your opponent how to handle the ruins now ropes and ladders uh, they help you to climb last uh, bit of terrain that you, you can find in venezia of course is gondolas they are a lot they are treated as a large obstacle so chain jumps here you are they can accommodate up to two 30mm base characters or one 40mm base character. And the nice part of this is that you can ride the gondola. Uh, there is a special action uh, that is uh, called row. For one action point you take a dexterity roll and you move your gondola with all these passengers according to the, the, the table stated on the, the rulebook. Be careful while riding a gondola because if you lose three or more life points in one action, you will fall. You will fall off the gondola. So be aware of those uh, 
hold through lurking below the canals. They want to eat you. Here we are at the end of uh, the longest episode that I have ever recorded, I think. And I really hope that you are not that you have not fallen asleep. I am sorry if uh, it was so long and I really hope to have not been tedious during the explanation of the action sections, but the this is the true core of Carnevale. It's the way in which your characters interact with each other. So I thought that a uh, more in-depth explanation was uh, required to give you a better service, I think. I have to say a really big, big thank you to my friend Kirsty from Scotland, who has been so kind to read the little background paragraph about uh, the Harbinger. And so thank you, Kirsty. The credits is for you. As always, I remind you to subscribe the Carnevale fan page on Facebook, go to check venicebyrentlight.com, that is uh, the best website that you can find with free resources for Carnevale. The wiki is updated, it's a very good source of uh, to sort out any doubt that you can have during the game. Check the Carnevale uh, official page because it's full of additional resources for the game uh, if you want to expand your uh, your games from uh, the main rulebook. Uh, there are plenty of special scenarios, uh, there are the FAQs, erratas, it's full of stuff for you as a gamer. Last, I suggest you to check the TT Combat Facebook page because uh, for the Black Friday Probably they are going to put out something interesting, and uh, when I say this, uh, I say that I think I am quite sure of that actually. That they are going to release for a limited period of time the exclusive miniatures. So if you want to grab Uros Amorra, maybe or Zovenavela, the old exclusive miniatures available during these uh, troubled 2020. Take a look at the uh, TT Combat uh, Facebook page because they usually give uh, announcements there. Guys, uh, I hope to have not made too many mistakes. And if you spot some mistake, please uh, let me know. You can contact me via my Facebook Messenger or if you want to write an email, my email address is monstersbtm at gmail.com As usual, guys, thank you, thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you soon in the next uh, episode who will be Venice have not been built in one day Arrivederci a Venezia